Hello and welcome to the Trinity Fit Over 40 podcast with me, Rob Burkhead. Today's podcast is a really different one. Myself and Ben are being interviewed by a long-term client of ours, Abby Davis, who's got a unique perspective as she's listened to every single podcast episode of ours and been a client for a long time and she thought listeners may be intrigued to find out more about us. From how we, as two men in our 30s, got into coaching women over 40 and around menopause, to where we grew up, how we met, our previous corporate careers, our mission with Trinity, and even our greatest struggles and regrets in life. We had no preparation as we thought it would be more interesting to be totally candid as a conversation, and nothing is cut out, so you get to hear it all. And I should say, Abby prepared, she has great questions, but myself and Ben did not get to see them beforehand, so it's totally candid. Now, we'll be back with the fitness tips and tricks for women over 40 from next week. But in the meantime, let's get straight into today's episode. Right. So, Ben and Rob, uh, absolute joy to see both of you at the same time. Um, so, I started to do my homework uh, and I started listening back to the recordings right from the beginning again and uh, it was really interesting so things I know so far are that you met at university I think yeah. that's right that's correct uh, you're both engineers by trade um, and you both mentioned this so I think it's okay for me to say that Ben worked for Triumph and Rob you worked for McLaren yeah um, which uh, you would have thought would have been somebody's dream job as an engineer graduate but clearly not so that was interesting um, we lived together, I think, at uni, but also after uni. Yeah, we lived in Bath for a couple yeah. of years together. Um, you both like food. You're both a sucker for a Domino's. Um, <laughs> Rob loves Jaffa Cake and CrossFit. Ben likes cars and loves climbing. And, and this is what I've gleaned so far. Uh, but what I really wanted to get into was, uh, to begin with, was the, the kind of the origin story of Trinity. So I thought I'd start off with the question that, um, you always use when you're interviewing people, Rob, which is, uh, who are you and where do you come from? So uh, I'll, I'll go to Ben first for the blind date question. So Ben, who are you and where do you come from? Uh, I'm Ben Hughes. I come from Stafford originally. So it's kind of between Manchester and Birmingham. Um, yeah. What else would you like to know? Okay. Well, we'll start there. Uh, so Rob, what about you? So... I'm Rob Burkhead and I'm from border of Berkshire, Buckinghamshire and Oxfordshire, sounds very posh, um, from a village called Hurley is where I was born. Well, I was born in Oxford and then I, we moved when I was two and then I lived there pretty much my whole life growing up until university. Okay, so what I want to know first of all is when and where do you first meet? I know it was university, but did your eyes meet across a crowded room or, <laughs> you know, were you in the gym together or were you in the same lectures? How did that all happen? It was in the same um, lab group, I think. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, we had some sort of lab group task to do and got put in the same group together. That was that was the first first meeting. Yeah, so we're building this bridge, I think. Um, I remember it was me, you and Adam. So this is another friend we're still friends with. We're building a bridge that had to get crushed. And uh, I think our bridge did okay. But I, it didn't. it didn't really blossom straight away as a friendship did it it was kind of like we had to be together we, we got on fine um adam's a bigger personality i'd say like so he probably was kind of like the one getting all the attention at the beginning and then ben and i decided i think it was the end of the year to go i had some golf clubs and we decided to go and sneak onto the the driving range which was next to the uni ground so bath is on a uh, uni is on a hill next and there's a golf club on the same hill and um yeah, I, I'd taken some of my dad's golf clubs for some reason. I thought this was a good idea to university with me. I did, we don't play golf in either of us. And then we decided to sneak onto the driving range at night, pick up some of the balls and go and hit the balls. It was also so, this sounds like a drunk activity. This was a sober activity. And then that's kind of where we started getting to know each other a little bit more. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, and so, so presumably fast forward or fair way from there, but what made you decide to set up a business together? How did you go from playing, sneaking onto a golf course and playing golf to um, setting up a business? There's quite a few steps there, I guess. I'll bit, but what, what, I, I would say it started with um, with training separately in the gym. Like I was training and you were training and 
I was going to the bar to uni gym. I think we we're both kind of, well, I'll, I'll answer for myself. I was very sort of weedy and kind of insecure about that. So I kind of dabbled in the gym and then the Bath Uni is a very serious sports uni. So I got really into the gym on my own. And I think we converged. I don't know what, when, when did you start training, Ben? First year, it was actually, um, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time broke up with me and then my, I turned my, uh, breakup misery and I put it all towards the gym and got absolutely like well obsessed with it. And then I think in, was it in second year? No, I, I still went to a different gym to you in second year. I went to fitness first, which was in town, which was different. So it must've been, somehow we ended up living together though in third year. And that was, and then we got really like seriously into going to the gym and we're absolutely obsessed with it and just trained with each other all the time in the gym. And then somehow from doing that, we decided to make some kind of blog about our workouts. I think we post, here's our workouts, here's what we're doing with food. Uh, decided to start doing social media again, no idea why, no, no plan or direction for it to ever become a business. And then somehow after gaining a few followers on Twitter, I think we saw some people who were making training plans and selling them online. And we thought we could probably do that. And then people started asking us, Oh, could you train us? Could we get, could you make us a plan? So then before we knew it, we've got we haven't actually at this point got any kind of qualifications in how to train people, but we're now giving people training plans and all sorts of stuff. And then from there, we kind of at some point decided to get a bit, get more serious about it and turn it into a proper, proper business. So it's quite organic. Is that, you know, they always say in, in things like writing your first novel or setting up a business, start with what you know. So you, you kind of did the work first and then, and then it grew from there. It's really interesting. Um, so one of the things that I noticed uh, was that the early podcast talked about was sort of brand is the motivation masterclass. Um, and now it's a bit over 40. And uh, there's some other changes. They were a lot more sweary in the early days. I don't know when that's going to be to kind of rein that in. Because you're really polite now, but you were really, it always makes, it just really makes me laugh. I love it. But those early ones, you were a lot more sweary. Um, so I just wondered how many, um, oh God, and the daily emails. You used to send people daily emails. I mean, oh my God, that must have been so much work. That's insane. I don't know how you did that. I still do. Oh, do you? I still do them every day, yeah. Oh my God. For, must be six years or something now. I must have sent like 2,000 wow. plus of those. That's insane. But I enjoy it. Oh, it's just so fun, I keep isn't doing it? it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I was just... Um, I wondered about the sort of how many um, identities has Trinity had so far? How have you gone through this sort of branding process um, and ended up where you are now? Again, it was quite a chaotic process, I would say, at first. It's a lot more stable now. Um, so you heard the Sweary podcast, you heard the different names. We originally started as Train, Eat, Game. I think that was just something, apologies if you hear the dog barking, work from home, life. It always happens when you're recording something. So. It started off being called Train Eat Game, and that was our blog name on Tumblr, which was a platform that didn't really, it hasn't really gone anywhere. And then um, on Twitter as well, like Ben said, because that's what, now the post person's pressing the doorbell. We'll leave it in, is <laughs> natural. Um, so it started off with Train Eat Game, um, because that's kind of more what we identified with, because that's what we were really enjoying at university. So we love going to the gym, so training. Uh, eating good quality nutrition and I would say we really threw ourselves into learning all of this stuff as well so Ben made it sound like it's very casual but I think anytime Ben gets into anything especially both of us but gets really into it like read everything there was on the internet about exercise and nutrition and, and and tried it all as well um but then we eventually realized when we sort of started to turn it into a bit more of a business that um that we seem to get better results with the female clients we're working with and they seem to be more receptive to coaching um, and wanted the help. Whereas the male people we're working with, we ran a lot of free challenges for a lot of years and we got very few entries from men um, and they didn't really ask anything throughout the challenge. Whereas the female clients we had, well, they weren't really clients because they weren't paying when we were doing these challenges, but we'd help them anyway. Um, they would come to us with questions all the time. So we thought, okay, let's specialize. And we were also working with a mentor at the time 
um, called Paul Mort. Some people may have heard of him, who is quite sweary. Uh, so I think we were kind of emulating him because we hadn't really built our own identity at this point. Um, and he did a lot on mindset as well. So that's kind of where that kind of diverged or kind of, you know, went off a little bit off our kind of true path, I would say. So it started off as this brand and then we thought, okay, we're only training women. And a few people started saying to us, I'm a bit concerned about this gain word. We meant it as in sort of either building muscle or growing in terms of your mindset. Um, but a lot of women say, I don't want to, that's the last thing I want is gain. So we thought we need to rebrand. So I think it was about 2016 where we decided we, we, we kind of looked at everything we were doing. We had these PDF plans and then we sort of coaching people through them that we need to, um, to kind of come up with a better product. We were, we, we've always kind of always wanted to evolve things and make it better and better and better. And so I remember we sat in your parents' kitchen, Ben, and we had this massive, I think it was a two or a three pad and we were coming up with all these ideas on it. Uh, and eventually I don't know where from we came up with Trinity as the name that we wanted to pick. So we, we wanted to focus on exercise, nutrition, and mindset. So three things. And then we were looking up what words can you come up with for three things? And it was Trinity. But there's Trinity, there's a lot of churches and things called Trinity. So then we need another word to go with it. And the, the kind of the next word that we've managed to come up with was transformation because we want to transform people's lives, not just in terms of physical change, but um, mindset in terms of confidence, in terms of like a full life transformation. So that was about 2016. Um, but I think even between then and 2019, where we started the Fit Over 40 program, there was there were some difficult years. So we had a team in... Um, I won't tell the full story. I'll let Ben tell her as well, but this is my perspective on it. We had it. We, we started growing as Trinity as training game with the Trinity program, and um, we we actually grew to a lot of clients. We had about five hundred clients because they were all coming off the back of Joe Wicks's program because he didn't have this follow on program. So we were kind of overwhelmed. I remember we'd have two or three hundred check ins a week each to answer on our own. Uh, <laughs> We were, yeah, we were really struggling. I remember one journey to see my grandma who was not very well in Norfolk and my dad was driving and the entire drive from my house to Norfolk, I was answering check-ins nonstop, furiously with my headphones, same headphones on. Still wasn't done by the other end. I had RSI in my eye arms. And um, at some point we realized we needed to change that. So we changed the model a few times over the years to cut a long story short um, until 2019, where it's been the same ever since in like the past four four and a half years now okay so Ben when you started out with this you were working still full-time in your day job and doing these kind of shifts either end because early podcasts I know these things um that must have been exhausting how did you how did you sort of get to the tipping point where you kind of went because that's a huge leap of faith to go from a presumably relatively secure job to being self-employed and entrepreneurial and all the all the risks and rewards of that how did you make that leap oh it's a it's another chaotic part of the story where um because rob and i were both working in those jobs rob quit his job after a very very short period of time so he'd already made i guess he already made the first leap to say right let's leave this well, you made me stable a, job you made me an offer ben yeah <laughs> then made me an offer after six weeks well within the first six weeks i quit after six weeks of getting my graduate job at mclaren ben said uh come and do you want to do that or do you want to try and get this business off the ground and i'll pay you half my salary that's what ben said to me oh my god i mean that really is a huge investment yeah so he sort of lived uh that's that's lived off the the one what half a salary each for a year while rob was we'd wake up really early in the morning do work on the business in the morning i'd then go to work come back from work work on the business again all evening as rob's already been working on it all day and then just do that probably probably seven days a week really i can't now i think we might have even had weekends off maybe sometimes i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then um so yeah we did that so it was kind of the uh, sort of halfway house but then it got to a point where I think I think the business it must have started it must have been showing some promise. So I can't imagine I would have just decided to fully leave my job at that point. But we, um, I think I remember looking at what we we're thinking of the options of what we could do, and we realised we could only really live abroad somewhere on the 
however much the business was making. So then at that point, we both moved to Croatia for a short period of time, um, which was <laughs> which was cool. That was it was nice for a for a few couple of months, um, and then, but then yeah, it was it's one of those things. I think I I think my thought process really was if I'm going to quit my career and uh, try and run a business, it's better to do it now. Better to do it when I was. I can't remember how old that was now, 23, 24. And I haven't got many responsibilities and not got much going on than to wait until, you know, I've got a mortgage or something like that. And I can't really take that risk anymore. So I was, my thought, it was really, let's give this a go. And then if this doesn't work, I'll just go and find another job in engineering, which I think would have been fairly all right, really, fairly easy. And I'm assuming that you don't look on, back on any of that with any regrets. Bit of a loaded question. <laughs> this is not the time sending no. it. Well, do you know what? Actually, <laughs> not now. Good. Um, and and so one of the things, because Rob, you were saying about how it was the women who were sort of more responsive to the training and more kind of engaged. And this was another question because there you were, two young men in your early twenties, um, from a very male-oriented background of engineering. Um, and I imagine at that time, potentially the whole kind of gym environment was much more kind of male friendly than, or less female friendly than it they are now. Um, and yet you decided that you were gonna set up not only a business that targeted women, but targeted menopausal women. So it's like, how far from you could you get? Well, that's quite a long way. You were nine women, it's certainly not menopausal, <laughs> how how did that come about where did that come from it wasn't like a as you can tell from this story it was all quite an organic process so it wasn't like we're going to target menopausal women because that's a niche that's under tapped although it was at the time it's much more kind of saturated now but um it was this journey of okay we need to we worked with this mentor paul moore the sweary one and he said um you need to target male men or women because the, the, mark, the marketing message you put out and everything inside your program is is, is, is not going to relate to both people. And I think as much as it'd be nice to say people will respond the same way, but you need to use completely different language to either you know, market someone or to motivate them as well. Like the things I talk to clients about every single week inside Trinity, even now is, you know, if I said the same thing to a man, there would not be, it would not be, you know, the, the same kind of conversation. And it's also very hard to build a community that's that's mixed because as you will know, talking about difficult problems, let's say menopausal problems can be scary at the best of times. And then if there's a load of men in the community, that doesn't work so well. So it, it slowly evolved over time. So it was women only, but all age ranges. And I'd say it was probably skewed slightly younger when we were younger. So they were still a bit older than us. Um, I don't know why that happened, but they were still sort of age 30 to, 30 to 40, I would say maybe. And then there was a few who were 40 to 50. Um, and then a few a bit younger as well when we were in our mid twenties. And then over time, I think it kind of got a little bit older. And then the thing that really stood out to us was the people who were in their forties were and fifties. And we actually had a client in their sixties as well was saying like, nothing else has worked for me. Um, this is the first time in ages, anything has worked for me and anything has got good results for me. And I think eventually we, we kind of heard that enough to go, okay, that is something that you know, an area that really needs help. And the, again, there's so many people online trying to sell fitness things. We realize we probably need to niche down more anyway. So we need to pick a, a smaller target, you know, market ultimately to, to work with who we can really specialize in. And then we can create a really good product for that target market. And I remember it was another one of these moments. I don't know where it was, Ben. I think we were throughout that journey. There were many times where we had to leave wherever we we're living and move back home to our parents. It was probably one of those times <laughs> we were back home at like 28 with our parents because we'd run out of money. And, um, and Ben came up with this fit over 40 concept. I think I'd just left London and you're going, okay, fit over 40, um, is what we're going to target. We, it wasn't just about menopause. And I think at the time we hadn't fully comprehended that menopausal changes happened that early for people. So that's why it was called fit over 40, not anything with menopause in the name. Um, uh, but what we've found was we got really, really good results with those people. And the minute we, we put that out there as like a, a, um, something on social media for people 
to kind of put their hand up and say, I'm interested in, we got a crazy amount of interest as well. So it was like, okay, this is people, something people really, really need. I remember we were doing seven or eight um, sales phone calls effectively, like consults with people a day each. Um, I was in my parents' garden. I remember, yeah, this is, and it's about seven or eight hours a day on top of coaching people again. So we've done, I think we have a strong work ethic, I guess now I'm reflecting on this. But I would just, it was, it was a nice summer. I remember when we had put that out there, I had to have my AirPods in. I would just sit there. I'd phone people all day, speak to them, they'd sign up to the program and then continue. And we went again from, there was a point where we had about a pound. This is like, it sounds like one of those joke stories, but there was a point where we had to fire a whole team about six or seven years ago. We had about a pound in the bank account once we'd paid off all of our VAT debts and things like that. And then uh, it was really nice to see, finally, we found something that's kind of, helping people and also works as a business that you don't have to move home with your parents every three years because it falls to pieces <laughs> yeah that's probably a good sign of good marker of success there can you can you live independently yes or no um so ben what do your family think about the fact that your career is now having gone from working for you know an internationally renowned firm to um basically devoting your life to helping menopausal women lose weight i think they're quite um quite sort of proud and supportive now but at the time where I was saying I'm going to leave my career that I've just spent five years studying for at university and I'm going to run this business they were kind of like I'm not sure that's a good idea have you really thought this through maybe you should uh so they definitely didn't think it was the greatest idea initially but now yeah they're definitely kind of they've seen the uh they've seen that we've been running it for 10 years or however long now and it's still still managing to work so yeah i think they're quite happy with it now quite supportive do, do any of them ever ask you for advice if they're in in your no, kind of target right okay so there's a complete separation my, uh, between home you and the work you yeah my well i think it's just my my mum as a person is very she doesn't tend to ask anyone for advice she's kind of uh she's very headstrong in what in what she thinks she's got she's very sort of strong in her beliefs with things so she'll probably she's more likely if let's say me and rob were uh at my parents house my mum would she'd tell us what we should do in the business she'd be the one giving us advice the whole time <laughs> rather than the other way around okay not the other way around yeah what about you rob how are you talking about about all these mad decisions that you made that turned out to be quite sensible in the end yeah in retrospect they handled it very well so I um I recently got married as you know and I did tell them like specifically in the speech um thank you basically for being so understanding of all the you know comes coming home again and I'll come off I think I'm self-sufficient now and then I come home again <laughs> um it sounds like that this, this has been a lot better recently but there was a few years where it was really chaotic but they um I think they're a little bit different from Ben's family. Maybe this helped with my decision because my dad's always, well, not always, but most of my life, I think the whole time I've been around work for himself. So he, um, he makes TV programs for, for BBC. And so I've seen him be self-employed. I've also seen him be sat working from his chair in the living room. Like there was a lot of years where he's traveling a lot, but then after this sort of for my teenage life, a lot of the time he'd be at home and then he'd go cycling in the middle of the day and then he'd be working on his laptop. He'd get up really early, but he'd kind of have to do his day how he wanted to. And I kind of saw that. And then when I got into my office job at McLaren, which sounds really glamorous, but it's effectively a job in an office working at a computer, pre-COVID, remember, she had to go in the office every day, commute around the M25. I was like, I cannot do that. I cannot, like, I, I know there's another way because I've seen what my dad was doing. And I remember having a conversation with my dad saying, I think I said, like, look, Ben's offered me this thing to half my salary. I'm, I, you know, I, I think I want to do it. And he, he just said, like, have a think about it. It's a big decision, but do, you can do what you want. And, you know, we'll, we'll obviously support you. I think he probably realized, like Ben said, it was fairly low risk at that age. And he could see we really wanted to do it. And for the whole second half of our degree, we were obsessed with, it wasn't really a business, but help you know putting out this fitness content we we're making recipe books like we we're making the best possible thing we could we we're obsessed with that and then just trying to get through the degree was like the thing on the side so i think he'd seen some of that 
so they were very understanding. My mum doesn't really, my mum just encouraged me. I'm very lucky again with whatever I'm doing. She doesn't really get involved with an opinion. Um, but yeah, they've, they've always been very open to it. And when I've come home again, to they've just said like, you can have your room back again. We'll leave you to do your work. Um, and I think, yeah, luckily they've, they've not been too doubtful. So I know a lot of people I've spoken to who really want to set up businesses have had parents who've said, you know, have been in secure sort of jobs and said, you know, I don't think you should do that and really kind of stop them pursuing it. Hmm. So a classic question, but what do you wish you'd known before you started? So Ben first, the hindsight's a wonderful thing. Oh, what do I wish I'd known before we'd started? Um, I'm not sure. I, I think actually it's it was almost good that we didn't know too much because if I if you told me to go back and say do this whole thing all over again, now knowing how much how much hard work it is and how much stress and effort it was, I'm not sure I'd be able to do it. I think we thought it was we thought we'd easily pull it off. We'd be like, oh, this'll be fine. So therefore we decided, oh, we'll just, you know, quit our jobs and set this thing up and it'll all work fine. But then the amount of hard work and like uh well almost near disasters multiple times that it's taken to get to this point um but if there was something that we uh had known oh it's a good had wanted to know i think it would have been to i think if i if we'd done one thing different it would be to actually focus on helping one group of people earlier because i think the sooner that was kind of a real turning point where as soon as we started working with women over 40, um, you know, everything was, was easier from like getting new clients. And then when clients came in, everything, we could just specialize everything to that one group of people. We started getting better results. Like that was really the kind of catalyst for, for it to go from being okay to being more successful, I think. Brilliant. Um, you have masterfully uh, anticipated my next question. So Rob, you can have them as a bundle. Uh, would you do it all again? And uh, what would you do differently? It's really hard, like Ben said. I think we needed to have all of those difficult moments to kind of get us to the point where we are now, where I'd say we're pretty confident. Obviously, you never know what's coming around the corner of running a business from the business perspective and from a coaching perspective and everything. Um, there was a really tough moment where um, I think it was 2016, 17, like I said, we had 500 clients, things were flying, but we we were really clueless in a lot of areas and we didn't realize, but I think we were young and naive. Um, so it'd be very hard to go back and do it again in the same way, but we wouldn't. Um, where we'd hired two people when we only really needed one in retrospect, we were paying them probably more than they needed to be paid. We also had this great idea that actually, we don't think people should work more than six hours a day. So <laughs> we put them on like this really short contract for how much they were being paid. Um, so we wanted to create this sort of utopia. We got an office in the center of Bath, which we didn't need. We're a remote company, but we thought, well, we should be a proper business and probably to kind of, you know, try and prove to people we'd been successful. I think there was a lot of that at that point. We had to get an office to show that we were successful. And then uh, 18 months later, we had to fire everyone, uh, get rid of everyone um, because we had this big tax bill come in um, that I didn't anticipate and a big VAT bill. I didn't really know how VAT worked. I thought it worked on profit, not on revenue. So you lose 20% of everything you make after the VAT threshold. So we had about 30 grand VAT bill and we didn't have 30 grand to give to pay. Um, on top of a 30 grand corporation tax bill and an office and two staff that we didn't really need all of. And we were paying other people too much. You know, we, we kind of, and naivety got the better of us. I wouldn't say people took advantage of us. We were just stupid. And, um, so, but that was a very important lesson because it really hurt. I think for about a year, I was like blaming the government for it and everything. And we did keep chipping away, but like it was a really, really important lesson to go. You need to have a handle on your finances. You need to understand how tax works. You need to really, really, you know, quickly react if things are going wrong, whether it is, you haven't had to do it since luckily, but reducing your team size or not scaling it as quickly or um, making sure you've got cash saved as well. So there was a lot of important lessons through that. And we really, really had a tough time through that. So I hope Ben doesn't mind me mentioning I was working, we, did, we didn't get paid for nine months. So I had to work for a company that I worked for when I was at uni doing, I was teaching about 10 children on this massive sort of matrix style computer screen rig in my flat where I had like 10 screens. I'd teach nonstop on a Saturday 
computer lessons for basically minimum wage to remotely to children who really didn't want to be doing it, which was a fairly miserable job. Ben was working for Domino's Pizza. <laughs> so we, we had an event where we were running with clients where they paid a reasonable amount and we were still trying to run a really good event at Horcross Hall. So it looked nice, but we had to hide Ben's uniform in his car because we were taking him somewhere in the car. And he had this Domino's uniform in the back. This this is the level <laughs> at points. But I think that you have to go through those lessons, right? To A, realize you're not, you, know, you, you can really mess up. Um, but I wouldn't, I really don't think I'd do anything differently because I think you had to learn. I think the only one thing actually that I thought of when Ben was speaking was I would phone people sooner. So we did many years. I've, I've always had a bit of a fear of phoning people. I don't know why. I don't think Ben has, but um, we did everything through email. So like telling people about the program, trying to get them to sign up for years and years. And I think it really limited how quickly we learned stuff because you, when you speak to someone in a proper conversation, you pick up on so many little things. And we did start doing that in 2019. As I said, we phoned people all day. And we so quickly learned, oh, this is what people need. This is what they're struggling with. This is what kind of the overall consensus is. Whereas when through email, you don't really get that. So I think the one thing I would change is get over that fear of phoning people. And I literally remember as a child, my parents being like, you're going to phone that person, speak to them. And I like, I put it off for as long as possible. I hate it. I'm like, my heart be racing when I pick up the phone. And I still get that to a degree. I don't, I really don't know why that's come from. Um, but I really love conversations with clients now, you know, I, they're some of the most rewarding parts of my week is speaking to people on the phone, but I would have phoned people earlier because you just learn so much more and you can connect with people so much better than just communicating through some sort of email or chat. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, one of the things I know we talked about is that one of the things I think that's so good about Trinity is the connections that you enable people to form with your, with their coaches, particularly, which leads me on neatly to your coaches um, who are spectacular human beings um really just amazing people i mean i only know i've only really kind of had dealings with a couple of them just because laura is my coach and then uh sometimes danny covers for her um but i know she's great too and i know from the chat and whatsapp that everybody just thinks their coaches are the most fabulous people alive um so how do you go about finding your coaches how do you know when somebody what somebody's got what it takes to be a trinity coach what does it take to be a trinity coach all the questions all, all bundled up answer whatever you like but yeah these who are these amazing super beings and how do you find them and, and what is it what do you put them through to make sure that they are the right people i guess i'm probably best answering this because we're doing it right now and um just for context ben ben is head of sales and marketing um and then I'm head of fulfillment, um, which is coaching and product. So I think those are our two sort of areas of speciality and we're hiring right now. So I think this is what I've also been told by the coaches. It's just, we have a very, very thorough hiring process, which we, we did learn through one of the many mentors we worked with, um, through a company called Emith, which is really good was to, we do a short interview process, which we did on Tuesday, where we take the best applicants and we do. 10 minute interviews with about 20 people in a day. So you get to speak to a lot of people. And prior to that, so we had about 600 applicants for one coaching position. Um, yeah, so we first vet all of those. Um, so it's, it's just about getting the quantities in. So we put out a job advert, we get about 600 applicants. This is the most ever. Um, then we ask them all a series of questions. If any of the, any, any of the responses are not good enough. So if the punctuation is bad, I'm, I'm a real sickler for this. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're gone. Um, cause this is the best, like people are putting their best foot forward in an interview process, right? If, if that's their best and it's not very good, then <laughs> you can imagine six months into a job when they're a bit tired, what that's going to be like. So we're quite cutthroat with it. So we'll cut them down and then we'll interview about 20 for a short interview, but for 10 minutes, cause you can get a very quick feel for if someone I, I personally think anyway, if they're going to be able to connect with a client or not, cause if they can't connect you with, with you in 10 minutes or they're chaotic or they're, um, they give you a bit of a, you know, a funny feed, like, you know, they put you on edge. None of that's going to work. So we just very quickly just go, no, 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 no. Again, so it's, a, it's about finding loads of no's, which sounds hard. I'm just looking at my old form of the, the, still all the paperwork there. So we do, we do the same process for, for everyone. I've got three questions we ask them. And then based off that, we then do an assessment. So then they reply to some coaching questions, some typical things we'll have. And then we narrow it down even more. So now we've gone from 600 to 20 odd to five to four. 
And then we've got four long interviews next week where we'll speak to them for about 45 minutes to an hour um, with a load more questions that are kind of based on our values. So we have our company values, um, balance, excellence, um, growth and dependability. And we'll ask them a load of contextual questions to see how they align. And we'll also ask CV based questions to see how, uh, to see what kind of what their long-term career plans are as well. Cause we don't really want anyone who, who's just coming in for a short term. We want people who are in it for the long term, in it for the right reasons. And then we'll make them an offer. Um, and then hopefully you'll get a great coach. We've had, I would say we have had one which wasn't as good. And that was when we were rushing hiring again, rushing it never really works when we were just a bit overwhelmed with numbers. Um, but it was at the same time we hired Laura, who you know is amazing. So we did get one out of the two uh, right. But now we've realized we, we, we just hire a lot more in advance to avoid that happening. And we've got a really good team now. How big is your team? So we have six coaches, including Dave, who is their manager. So he's the coaching team leader. Um, 12 people total, if you include me and Ben, um, and people who are part-time as well. So we have Kath, who does our um, admin, who kind of helps organize me and Ben. Um, we have Yaz and Lewis, who are sort of membership advisors, who speak to people before they join. We have Declan, who um, does our social media contents, the stuff you see going out there. Um, he edits all of that. He'll be editing this. And then we have um, Danny, Simone, Natasha, and Kate, um, who are coaches, and Laura, obviously. And then we have Dave, who manages them, and me and Ben. I think that's everyone. Have I missed someone, anyone, Ben? Calf. Uh, Calf, who does admin for I us. Said oh, you've already said Calf. <laughs> that's it, then. That's keep, the whole team, yeah. It keeps you both organized. Yeah. So you went from two to four, and now and then to two and now you are gradually you've ended up with 12 so that's a, a quite a growth over time so ben with the marketing so you've ended up with what what Basically is it that you are marketing, marketing yeah. and marketing, right so how have you ended up with that gig is this a again was this an organic kind of division of labor is this you playing to your strengths or is it just doing the things that rob can't stand or um is, or have you got a natural flair for marketing? How's how has this shaken out? Um, I'd probably say what it's it's just sort of gravitated to like everything in the whole. As you'll probably have grasped from what we do, it's organically somehow become that way. I think one thing is I was doing most of the uh, daily email marketing, that sort of stuff, um, and creating sales pages and things like that, and. I think in terms of the coaching side of things, when me and Rob used to do all of the coaching and then we started tracking sort of performance in coaching, Rob in in terms of numbers is just a better coach than I am, <laughs> basically. He gets better results in terms of the coaching side of things. <laughs> Therefore, it just made sense for him to be the head of coaching. And I think one of the best things we've done in the business is for uh, to hire coaches who are, well, actually they, they outperform both me and Rob. So they're all of our coaches are better coaches than we can be. Because we're, I think, you know, fundamentally, me and Robert, although we're not working in engineering, we love the spreadsheets and the numbers and the data and all of that sort of stuff. We're not so good. At, and, and we hire coaches and um, and our membership advisors and everything as well. They were really good kind of people, 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 persons who are very, um, you know, they're just, they're just better at working with people and better at coaching than us. But yeah, Rob sort of ended up with the, coaching side of things and then just naturally then i'm kind of taking the do the marketing and sales and then all and then there is a bit of stuff that we share which is kind of all the boring kind of technical behind the scenes stuff that's uh we still kind of hold on to doing that and i think as you know when we speak to a lot of other kind of fitness businesses one of the first things that other people tend to do is they'll hire some kind of a tech person to do to like make their website and sort their memberships out and everything like that. But I think because we've got that engineering background, for some reason we just keep holding on to all of that that sort of stuff. Which is quite handy, really. Yeah, I noticed um it's always very uh, you're always very responsive when people go, Oh the website's down, I can't do a workout and there'll be like an instant <laughs> message from Rob going, fixing it now and I'm thinking, Wow, that's amazing how they're doing that but it's because you're engineers and that's what you do. Um is there, do you miss sort of being kind of at the cold face? Do you miss the, the, the kind of, cause you had, you were coaching, you were, you had the day to day interaction with clients. I know Rob, you still have interaction because of the, um, 
the podcasts and stuff. And then obviously you're busy firing out emails every day to people I didn't even know. How do I get onto that list? Um, but do you miss that kind of the fact that it was you doing the stuff and now you're kind of getting effectively sort of further away from it? Or are you still quite hands on, just not at the same level? I don't know who should I go first I'll go first on this one I think I would miss it if I didn't speak to anyone um so I really like enjoy you know the podcast interviews so I've interviewed you before obviously we speak to clients after four weeks as well so me and Ben have that conversation and personally for me I really do still like that to make sure everything's going okay obviously it gives you a bit of certainty of oh yeah no their coach is doing a great job they've said they're doing really well they're getting good results it keeps you in touch with them but I think after 10 years and then you've heard some of the quantities we had of people we were speaking to, like we, I couldn't tell you how many check-ins that we've applied to over the years. It must be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. I would be lying if I said I missed that because at the beginning you get a lot of very similar struggles and questions. And again, at the beginning, loved it. After 10 years, you kind of see the same thing. I think for both of us, we're very growth orientated. Like. I, I get kind of bored quite quickly with the same thing. I think this is the engineer again. Want, we want to make things more efficient and more automatic. And so that's why the coaches have been amazing at coming in and with, you know, being fresher into it, but also being more people, people, like Ben was saying, they don't necessarily get tired from that. Whereas actually we quite like looking at a spreadsheet and then looking at the numbers and correlating the data and going, it's all trending in the right direction. So <laughs> I like, I like, I think, and this is one of the reasons I think we, we did split our tasks the way we did is I'm a little bit more people and product focused, I would say. Um, it's probably why, as Ben said, I probably have slightly better results in coaching, but again, it's, it's still, we're still quite similar. And then Ben is a little bit more task oriented. So he could do those, those marketing tasks, which are often data analysis again, and, and innovating and, um, and then it, it, it kind of works quite well. And I think I, yeah, I personally like to see things evolving, but the, the thing I find most rewarding of all, just to bring it back to coaching, is the, the weekly coaching call. So we have that coaching call on Tuesday night. Um, we For people who are listening, this is a group session with all, well, as many clients who want to come on as possible. And myself and Ben alternate usually week to week. And I really love that because you're helping lots of people, but it's in an efficient way because you're doing it to a group. And you can coach differently to a group so one-to-one, -one, you need to be very empathetic. Yeah. You need to be listening. <laughs> this sounds bad. This sounds like a you know, very male way of looking at it. But when you're coaching to a group, you can, you can, we ask the coaches, what are people struggling with this week? So I know what the struggles are. I know also the context of the time. Is it Christmas? Is it Easter? Is it summer holidays? I can then get to the roots of it without, but you, work, you can kind of be a little bit more firm because you're not directing at anyone. So no one's going to be personally offended. You can say like, this is, this is the challenge we've got at the moment. These are the reasons why these are the kind of mindsets or stories that you'll be telling yourself right now, which we all get. And then here are the ways you can, you can kind of fix that and then they can go away and do it. So I really enjoy that because you're helping, you know, 20, 50 people at once and, um, and you can coach them in it in a little bit of a different way. So I personally say I, I don't miss one-to-one -one coaching people every single week, just because we've done it for 10 years and I want to help people on a, on a grander scale, but I do love the group coaching. I don't see us dropping that anytime soon. Cool. What about you, Ben? Um, I, I quite like the way it is. I think it because the coaches are, they do such a good job. It's almost like, um, you know, if I wanted to decorate a room in my house, I know I could do it myself, but my skills at decorating are not absolutely amazing. So I could do it myself. There'd be some sort of end result and I'd be kind of probably looking at it thinking, oh, that's all right. Could have been done better. But if I've, I guess, because, because me and Rob have overall, well, more, more Rob, but we've put this system and this process together in the program and everything like that. And then it'd be like getting it, you get a really good decorator in, which is kind of like us getting our coaches in. They do a really good job. But then when you look at the end result, you're, you're, you're even more happy with the end result, even though you kind of haven't done all of the actual painting yourself. Um, you're kind of thankful that someone else has been able to do such an amazing job of it. Um, there was something else I was going to say. I completely forgotten what it was. No, completely forgotten. But essentially, yeah, I think that 
the best thing it, it it's just really good like i really like having the i really enjoy the um i like all of our team members i like how good they are with the coaching side of things and um and uh, like rob said as well we at the moment we still we still do those kind of week four calls with clients and i think if We'd ha- I think we have to, no matter what stage we get to, I think it would be, it would be really difficult if we, because we could step away from all of that sort of stuff. We could step away from doing the Tuesday night coaching call or from the one-to-one calls with clients after the four weeks. But I think there would be a point where you do kind of lose touch because it is really, I think it's really important still to hear like firsthand from clients, you know, what they're struggling with, what they're happy with in terms of the program. And I'll notice, you know, sometimes people will say, they'll mention something and we'll always kind of ask, you know, are oh, are you making, you know, are you getting everything you need from us at the moment? Is there anything that we can improve, et cetera? So I think it's really good to sort of keep your, keep your finger on the pulse there because I think, yeah. Otherwise we just, I think we would just kind of lose touch ultimately. I think it's, I think it's a really sound decision because it does keep you grounded in what people are experiencing and you don't get too complacent about, well, we already know everything anyone's going to say. And it does, it does give you that personal connection. I mean, I remember my four week call with you, Ben. Uh, I remember when I got um, a postcard from you, Rob, at the end of my first 12 weeks saying, congratulations, you've done amazingly. And just that little personal connection. Cause I think in business, there's this thing about, it doesn't matter what you're selling, people buy you. They don't buy the product, they buy you. And so when we see, you know, you both, or we hear you on the podcast and we see Rob's thing on Facebook about, is this you standing in front of a wardrobe full of clothes you can't wear and blah, blah, blah. You know, those you are the faces of Trinity, much more so than the coaches, because we never really get to see them face to face. So having that connection with you, that personal connection, <clears throat> however, sort of infrequently or, but it's there and it's, you know, you're still doing the podcast, you're still doing the, the coaching calls, it's you, you're not some sort of faceless disappearing behind the Trinity brand. So I think that's that's a real strength. So I'm I'm quite kind of pleased that you want to keep doing it. Um I have to ask, how do you come up with, and this is definitely one for you, Ben, with your six thousand emails. I know I'm obsessing about this, but I'm obsessed. I I just don't know how you're doing that. How do you come up with fresh content? I know there's a certain element of recycling because people, you know, summer holidays come around and Christmas eating comes around. And so you can kind of presumably, you know, not to be unkind, but to recycle a lot of the things that you've said in the past to people at those times. But but there is it still feels like there's there's new stuff. Um, I watched Laura sent me a link for a coaching call that you did, Ben, recently about sort of reframing your goals once you've made a certain amount of progress and you're too far away from the fire to feel like you have to get away from the fire. Um, Really helpful. And I hadn't seen that. And I've watched them all. I hadn't seen that before. So how do you generate all this content? How do you keep it fresh? I think, as you say, there's definitely a certain element of uh, recycling content. I think that one of the main reasons for that is because... um, there's only sort of so many things that you that you need in order to succeed with whatever it is with the nutrition, the workouts, etc. Um, marketing wise, I think it's just I always imagine if I'm writing at emails or whatever content it is that I'm sat down in front of our ideal client or I'm writing them. I'm, I always imagine I'm writing personally to one person. I'm like, what would this person want want or need to know? Um, and we have for everything. Just I think again. It's the engineer sort of organization way of doing it. We have a plan for everything. So with our content and the marketing and stuff, every week we sit down and we come up with a plan and we decide what topics we're going to do on which days and plan a couple of weeks ahead. And with the emails, I've got sort of a structure where, you know, one day might be a client case study and one day might be, I'll give something away for free. And one day will be like some teaching content. Um, But I think it's, yeah, it, it, I think it's just knowing that, that person and a lot of the content we generate comes from as rob was saying like sometimes we'll ask the coaches what are people struggling with what questions are you getting at the moment and and then we'll just kind of create content based on what people are struggling with and what questions people are asking or if somebody asked a question on social media rob might then create a video based on that or if someone replies to one of my emails um i'll create content on that so if i notice you know a lot of people are saying to me because every so often on an email i might ask you know 
ask a question that people actually reply to like what's your biggest struggle at the moment when it comes to seeing results with your fitness and if i notice a lot of people are coming and saying well you know i'm struggling with motivation or whatever it is then we can write content on that but i'd say by far the the biggest thing um marketing wise is we hear kind of the same story over and over again which is that people have they've tried all the things that they used to do so all the things that used to work in their 20s or 30s that they saw amazing results within the past whether that's slimming groups or gym classes or whatever it is but then since getting a bit older they're doing the same thing but they're just not seeing the results in the mirror and that's kind of that number one frustration is uh, and that will be kind of our ideal client the person who is they're putting in the effort they're really trying really hard but they're not seeing the results from that so then just knowing that knowing that that's the person that we're going to help it's then it's quite easy to just keep coming up with stuff just thinking right what would that what would that person need to know to really kind of help them out either number one help them out with um deciding to get help and get some coaching and get some support from us which is ideally what we'd like and what's going to work really well for them um or once they're inside the program um I know a lot of the content in the program that Rob's put together, things come at different points. So there'll be certain videos, you know, there's a certain video at week three, a certain video at week four. And a lot of that's based on looking at what questions do people ask at week three, what questions do people ask at week four, and then trying to preempt everything that people are going to ask with a with a video or a piece of content. That, that um, helps a lot because um, I was finding it almost eerie. The fact that every time I hit a certain point in the program and I was sort of going to Laura, ah, um, suddenly, as if by magic, there would be a coaching call about it or there would be, you know, the video the next week would cover and I'd be sitting there going, yeah, that's it. That's exactly the thing that I'm going through at the moment. So now I, I feel a bit safer and that you're not inside my head. So that's good. <laughs> um, it's nice. Though. But I mean, it just shows how how responsive the the program is as well, that this is not a kind of cookie cutter, one size fits all, no pun intended, um, kind of deal, because you are so responsive to individuals kind of struggles and battles and, and hurdles. Um, and that, that I think is, is again, one of the, probably one of the secrets of your success, not that it's a secret, but you know what I mean. Um, so what's the best or the most rewarding thing about what you do, Rob? It's going to be cliched, I think, but it's, it's got to be, it's helping people in two different ways. So it's speaking to the clients and this is, this is an interesting question actually, because we, we are on track for like the original business goal we set. So our original business goal, I think we can say this publicly was a million pounds revenue. Cause it's this like a million pounds thing, you know, it's just like, it's always the thing that everyone says they want to do. The Holy Grail. And we're on track to, to do that this year. Or be, <laughs> if we don't, we're very, very, very close, but I think we'll do it. Um, nothing's really changed there. It's quite weird. There's kind of a massive anti-climax every time you hit those goals. But the one thing that, that does keep you going is when you speak to someone and they say like, Again, maybe it's an ego thing, but after four weeks, I've literally had some calls this week and I was feeling a bit low. We'd done this massive Welsh 3000 hike. I was exhausted. And then someone's saying, I feel so much better. Like my energy so much better. My mood's so much better. I'm so thankful I found this. And that, I think that still is, that's, that's why I think I've struggled to let go of that stuff. So it's that or doing the group calls. Like I did a group call last night for the step challenge we got on and everyone's saying, thank you so much for putting it together. So maybe it's an ego thing, but it's, it's hearing that I think we both need a I think we both do need some validation. I don't know if Ben would agree, but that's, I think, why we got into the gym in the first place, because we weren't getting the validation we wanted from girls when we were younger and things like that. So I think it's getting some of that. But knowing, obviously, you're helping people, I don't think, I think the reason I struggle in engineering, probably similar for Ben, was like, even though I love cars and I was in the car company, it should be the dream, there was no real validation. If I did a great job, I did actually a bad job of a lot of my work because I was doing all the Trinity stuff on my computer at work, which I shouldn't have been. Um, and I still got told I did a good job and that didn't sit well with me at all. I was like, if I'm being told I'm doing well and I'm doing what I think is pretty, you know, mediocre, low effort, then this is not for me. Like, I think I need that feedback. So for me, it's getting that feedback. I think that we, you know, we're doing a good job and it's continuing to help people. Um, and then the other one is helping, uh, um, is helping the team as well. So 
again, it really upsets me if a team member has kind of rated. So we, we did rate everything, like rated the, how they're enjoying their job really low. Occasionally we've had that where it's come down from like nine, 10 out of 10 to like seven or six even. And I'm like, okay, this is a serious issue. We need to really deal with this because it's really rewarding to be able to give coaches, which is usually a very unstable job um, where there's no certainty. You don't get any benefits. You've got to work 4 a.m. in the morning until 9 p.m. at night. Um, it's really rewarding to give those people a career as well in something they want to do and to see them enjoying it, to take them on retreats and things like that. And, and you know, maybe again, that sounds a bit self-indulgent saying, well, you've done that for them. It's not like about that, but it's about creating that team and like having our team, our team socials and being like, this is weird. Like we've, we've brought this group together. It's kind of, it's quite cool. It's still surreal to me. That's really cool though. I like it. Um, what about you? Ben, what's the most most rewarding thing or the best thing about what you do? I'd say, again, yeah, echoing what Rob said, it's the um, helping people, knowing that you're making a difference to people and in people's lives. And I think, I think when we first started, um, that was always kind of the the main thing. Like we set out, um, we did a lot of free challenges and things like that. And I mean, I don't know even doing those free challenges, that was really kind of rewarding, helping people and seeing their results and helping them transform their lives and things like that. And I think it helped um, having me and Rob both gone through our own sort of fitness journey of like learning how to be fit and healthy and improving our physiques and getting stronger and that kind of stuff ourselves and knowing how um, how much better you feel when you're kind of, you're seeing that regular process, regular progress every week you feel like you're getting better you feel like you're improving and it kind of improves everything else in your life and sort of lifts everything else in your life you feel like you feel capable because you feel like oh i can if i can do that if i can improve that thing then i can also go and do that and it kind of gives you confidence to do other things so it's just knowing that we're giving people that that same sort of feeling um and then and, and i think yeah whether it's us doing it personally or just doing it as a as a business it's kind of just as just as rewarding really so that would be the the first thing and then also i think um just the the amount of kind of problem solving that there is to running a business is also very rewarding to me so it's really kind of um rewarding when whenever me and rob get together we come up with kind of here's the vision of what we want to create whether it's we want to um you know, have, have more sort of work-life balance or, um, or grow the team or help more people or whatever it is, or, or, you know, improve an element of the, of what we do, like improve the social media or run a retreat, whatever it is. It's that process of kind of coming up with those ideas together and then, um, seeing that go from just an idea, an abstract sort of concept to then becoming something in real life where, you know, we've got, a couple more team members that are on board and they're they're in this sort of rewarding job that we've created for them and then the clients that they're coaching are all happy with the results and things like that so it's that i think that that creative element of it is also really exciting and being able to constantly do um do new and different things um rather than kind of comparing it to my domino's pizza job as much as i i did really enjoy that job to be fair but that way it was just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. So after a few few months, it was a bit boring. Um, but in this, but in this role, it's like, you know, you can be really creative and kind of innovate and you have to come up with solutions to there's, although it's annoying when there are problems, like things don't work, you've also got problems to solve. And I think I really enjoy having problems to solve and having, um, things to work on. Cool. I, I love the fact that you both you clearly kind of live the Trinity values because this is, you know, you both do when it you decide you need to, you both do tracking or you both set yourself goals all the time and you work towards them. And it's it's very sort of in keeping with the whole ethos. And again, it's that that kind of personal investment. It's like it's you doing the workout videos and or the coaches and it's it's just so kind of authentic. And I think that's great. I'm really conscious of time. I have so many more questions, but I guess I'm going to have to just sit on some of them and maybe we'll do it all again another time. Um, so I've got a quick fire round. So, uh, so uh, you can take it in terms. So, uh, Rob, if you could only eat one food or meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? This is a really hard one. I've, I've always thought about this. I think I'll go 
some sort of Asian food. I love Asian flavors, um, whether it's Thai, whether it's Indian. I think it's got to be some sort of. I'll then weighing up the health benefits of it as well now. Like, is this a healthy decision? <laughs> but also got to still be fit and healthy and trained. I think authentic Thai food, as long as you don't add too much sugar to it, it's good. I'll go Thai. Okay. Uh, ben, different question, but similar. If you could choose one food item you could eat as much of as you want and it would have no negative consequences, what would it be? So, Rob, you missed out because you could have had unlimited Thai food with no negative consequences. Oh. Ben, what, what have you got? That's a really good question. It's almost too difficult to answer. I can eat anything as much as I want with no negative consequences. Yeah, you've got to eat one thing. So whether it's pizza or it's Thai or it's Jaffa cakes or whatever it is, you can have as much as you want and it's not going to make any difference to the scales or have any any. I think I think I'll go pizza. Yeah, that'll be that'll be the one for me. Sensible man. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, of all the list workouts, Rob, that you do, what's your favourite move? It's got to be a deadlift because I have really long arms like an orangutan. Um, so does Ben, actually. So it's probably, well, I don't know if it's still his favourite, but yeah, it's because it's also the thing I can lift the most at. So this year I hit a 200 kilo deadlift, which was something I've wanted for years and years and years. I think Ben probably did it about age 21. It took me about uh, 12, 13 more years to do it. But uh, I'll pick a deadlift because it suits my body type and shape. Are you sure your arms were that length when you started? Have they not <laughs> just become that way over time? And <laughs> <laughs> what's your least favourite move in the gym? Deadlift. <gasps> Only because uh, when, when I did my 200 kilo deadlift, it gave me years of of back problems I, I definitely injured myself doing it so Rob's done it in a you know a safe and correct way and I just did it in a reckless 21 year old way brilliant love it uh okay Rob um what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given oh, these are good questions I think I'm actually going to spin this one around I'm going to say my parents and dad always gave me advice about the things I shouldn't do in business. I always made the mistake that he said, don't do anyway. So I think it's probably just to make the mistake anyway. Like it's just, it's just to keep going basically. So keep going no matter what, because you will, you will come through it. Just same with weight loss. Like if you're having a bad week, as long as you keep going, you will get your goal. I see it with clients all the time. It's only when you stop and give up. Um, so I don't know if that was from a particular person, but I've kind of taken that from a lot of different coaches and things. That Fair enough. Yeah, whatever it is you're trying to pursue, just keep keep going. Have that blind faith. So, um, Ben, what piece of advice do you wish you'd listened to? Oh, wish wish I'd listened to. Um... So someone told you this thing and you were like, mm, yeah. And then, you know, it's that thing in hindsight where you go, oh, God, they were right. Should have listened. It would be, there's probably either two, two, th the two things, but they're probably kind of the same thing which is it's probably about not one of them would be don't spend all the money that you earn, which was probably my parents saying that make sure you save some money. So when we, when we kind of ran out of money and did the whole Domino's pizza thing, I, the reason I had no money left was because I'd spent all of it on cars, holidays, just like what gone wasted. So save some of your money would be one piece of advice. I wish I listened to. And another one would be like, with workouts and training would be don't don't try and do too much too fast because every time I've ever done that I ended I've ended up injured and then you put yourself out of action for a long period of time and it's a real struggle to get back on track so it's kind of both of them be moderation is key that would be the the advice really well, that's that's cool advice um so Rob when you were little what did you want to be when you grew up it was either a racing driver or a car designer but I don't think I'm really I'm okay at the driving thing. Maybe I had to push down that path. I'd be okay. But um, car design is definitely a wishful. I look back at the things I was drawing and look at the stuff I did when we were engineering. I'm just, some of our friends are really good car designers and engineers. And it's just, I don't know what Ben thinks about himself, but I'm definitely not actually cut out to be that. Fair enough. What about you, Ben? What did you want to be when you grew up? I think probably either an astronaut or a fireman, something like that. I think it was always something uh, exciting. <laughs> so what I was waiting for was one of you to go, actually, I really wanted to be a fitness coach. 
Um, but no, that obviously was a dream. That no, dream that came later, accidentally. Me neither. That's either. cool. Um, okay. I hated I hated PE at school and I hated sports. I was never I was never into physical fitness. I absolutely hated it because I was awful at it. And that, until uni, pretty much until I was like eighteen. Wow, that's cool. Uh, okay, Ben, what do you wish you could do more of? Climbing. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Very simple. <laughs> Rob, what would you like to do less of? Oh, that's a really interesting question as well. Less procrastinating, I pick. It sounds like I don't even do that much. I think I have a very. I, I, it's a weird point now where we have team to do some things. So we've we've had all these points where you've had to work so unbelievably focused, like that you you don't um, you don't get distracted by anything because you just don't have time. You're like, I've got ten phone calls with clients later. I've got a meeting this morning. I've then got to get all of this work done. And now we actually have a little bit more time and space. It's like I'm really struggling to like have a work life balance. I've actually thought of an even better one. Less of, I wish I did less of looking at cars and buying and selling cars. As Ben knows, I drove back from Wales on Sunday, one go, which is a massive mistake. And I already hate my car and want another car. I only bought it in January because I have a bad back. So Ben's already been through this journey. I think there was a point where you had six cars in a year or something. You've reined it in a bit now. <laughs> yeah. still there. I, I had a good patch where I kind of stuck with it. And then, yeah, I think I, the only thing I tell myself is better that I'm like this with cars than with women so I'm married <laughs> so I don't I'm sure delighted to hear that like. so whenever I'm on my phone this was in my wedding speech I said um at least she knows whenever I'm on my phone scrolling I'm not oh, like she's going what are you doing on your phone like ignoring her it's like I'm not chatting to women I'm just looking at cars on the internet car porn um it's been absolutely delightful I'm really conscious that I have to go because I've got a call with Laura um, and we're going to do some goal setting and I'm really excited about that. It's been absolutely delightful. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed it. I hope you have too. Um, and I get to say this for once, whatever you do, enjoy the rest of your day. Oh, you stole that from us. Oh yeah. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it as well. Good. I'm glad. So thank you for listening to today's episode of the Trinity podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to hit that subscribe button inside your podcast app so you don't miss future shows and also please leave us a quick review it only takes two minutes we do all of these shows completely for free to help you so we'd really appreciate a quick review if it's helped you at all so thank you again so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for the next episode of the trinity podcast